TBCC episode 77, my realization of the day. Today's movie marks the second episode of the pod to feature an extensive conversation on puppet sex, so I hope you guys are stoned for this one. Take a hit and pass that spooky shit. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, a podcast very high on horror movies. I am your host, Mr. Devon Taylor, joined by my trusty co-host, Mr. Garrett McDowell. Trusty co-host. That's a new adjective for me. I'm the I'm the trusty sidekick. I like that. You are trusty. <laughs> no, you're not a sidekick. This is a partnership. That's true. That's this true. This is a partnership. I'm, I mean, yeah, Rob, Robin is just as important to Batman as <laughs> no matter what they say. I'm not your if ward. If not more. If not more. Hey, if we not can, more. If you want to turn this into Robin talk, we can. I'm oh, just saying. Dick we Grayson can... is my boy. Uh, I mean. Dick Grayson, I think, is my favorite DC character. I think he is my favorite. He's a good one. He's a good one. Again, if you want to turn this into a Robin <laughs> talk, don't don't tempt me because I could I could go in on the Robins. But yes, no. yeah, good point. Yes. But then, I mean, if we're going through that logic, I'm going to then branch off and make my own <laughs> horror podcast independent of yours if we're supposed to follow that direction. And, or I'm going to get killed. <laughs> or that could, oh, no. <laughs> no, you, you're closer to a Tim Drake even than a Jason Todd. Okay, good. Okay. That's a, that's Which a, Tim Drake also <laughs> rules. That's Tim a relief. That, that is a relief. Also named after a great restaurant, Red Robin. So Yeah, yeah. Yum. But anyways, not this is not Robin talk. Uh, we talk horror movies here. We talk subgenres and franchises, and I am very excited for this one. Yeah, I've been I've literally been wanting to do this episode for a while. It was teased all the way back in episode fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, episode fifty, which a great episode. You should totally listen to it. We um did a thing called "Is This Horror," where we kind of went through a lot of debated upon films like you know like jaws jurassic park silence of the lambs those kind of things that always get you know "Uh, that's not a horror movie or or, you know because me i'm i'm one of those people like i i can make a stretch for so many movies on being a horror movie like i'm i I, i'm not one of those people that like tries to be like no that's not horror movie like i i I, I want to make a case for more movies. So like, just kind of think outside the box a little bit, you know? Yeah. I think this is also a really interesting kind of, you know, because uh, I find a lot of those kind of like, is Jaws horror? It's like, I don't, do you want it to be? Because I could see how your perception of that could steer that conversation. But I'm excited for this one because these are most certainly not, not horror, horror movies. movies. Uh, and so I like watching uh, the movie that we're going to be talking about today. I like watching it from an angle of, what are the elements that you might find in a horror movie or what are the elements that this film intentionally doesn't kind of capitalize on to then make it a horror movie? So mm-hmm. um, I know I, I maybe not stumped, but at least you kind of were like, huh, with the movie that I chose. So yeah. I'm very happy to, no. to, to, to steer the ship that is this podcast. I'll be the I'll be the captain and you're my skipper. <laughs> I'm glad, you know, because I know at first you weren't exactly on board with this idea or like, I don't know if you understood where I was coming from. It, it wasn't that I wasn't it, on board. It was 
again, it was just kind of like, okay, well, like, what is the definition of this? Which is what makes me excited because mm-hmm. I think with the movie that I chose, that you chose, and some of the uh, future episodes that we have planned with some guests, I think we all kind of made our own little definition. We our did. own kind of took a, a different direction mm-hmm. on it. So that's what I'm very excited for. Yes. I think yeah. I just need a new name for it. I guess almost horror isn't um, isn't close enough to like what we're doing. So maybe this is could be horror. Could be. Is that, is that a little bit closer? I, yeah, I could definitely see that but yeah i'm uh, this film that we're going to be talking about today there are some like elements or some scenes that are very strange but i think the overall feeling and energy of the movie is is you know something that we also talked a little bit before the show it's like it's you can also bring in your own personal baggage with this which somehow makes it scarier mm-hmm. uh we have some uh, movies that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks and it's like oh if you struggle with social anxiety this movie is like the fucking exorcist exactly. you know <laughs> exactly you know it's very um you know personal so like basically the movies that we're going to be taking a look at are movies that are definitely not horror movies um, they would not come in a conversation of even debating it. Um, yeah. The criteria when the guests asked, I was like, just when you look it up in different sites on IMDb, wherever, yeah. uh, just horror should not be listed at all. Yeah. I was like, that's basically my only criteria yeah. and interpret that how you will. So it's like, <clears throat> so we have movies that are kind of exploring certain fears, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a very integral part to horror in general i think fear is like you know the primary ingredient of like what constitutes as horror yeah but it's also the way it's presented so it's like you know some of these movies are also um using a horror um or using film making techniques that you would typically see in a horror movie but still not in the typical fashion yeah and some of them like the movie that i'm talking about that we'll be talking about today um is a film that i don't think i i think the story is something that really could lend itself to being horror some of the presentation is like pretty unsettling and pretty scary but i think stylistically there's certain music choices uh and just certain like filmmaking kind of technical choices or like editing choices that don't make this movie scary whereas there's some movies that Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about that do use the filmmaking techniques to make it scary but the story isn't something scary at least on the surface so i took like a bit of a different approach to this i'm like oh dude this could be terrifying if they wanted it to be Mm -hmm. but they kind of just approach it in just a little bit of a different direction to uh, suddenly make it not as scary and even in this film's case a little funny at points yeah like basically the way i pitched this originally to garrett was i said because I'd watched the, I mean, I've been thinking about this for like a long time, but it, I started thinking about it again when I watched the Truman Show, and I go, yeah, I go, I go, swap the Truman Show score out with a horror score, and yeah. it's instantly a horror movie. Like you, you literally wouldn't have to change like a thing about it, yeah. except for the score, and I think it would turn into a horror movie. Yeah, that, so it's that, very yeah. so like you know things like that is like the way that I pitched it, mm-hmm. and uh, we're talking about anomaly, uh, we're talking about Anomalisa. Yes, I, I was about to say it. anomaly. And, uh, <laughs> We're talking ooh. about the animal, the, yeah, the Rob the animal, Schneider movie, <laughs> animal, animal Lisa, uh, directed by. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're talking Anomalisa, um, which was um, written and co-directed by Charlie Kaufman, which mm-hmm. is interesting because, you know, some of his other films kind of could be more genre-esque. Yeah. Um, you know, more specifically something like uh, either being John Malkovich to a degree or um, 
What think, was his most recent one? I'm thinking of Ending Things, yeah. which was my favorite film of that of uh, its respective year, and I think that that is the most that he's leaned into horror. But I think Kaufman, as a filmmaker, I when I was looking through, I was literally just looking on like films that I had seen on Letterbox that I have logged, and I was just looking through them, and I was like, do any of these kind of strike me as that I could see an argument for it being terrifying? Most of Kaufman's movies, I could totally see mm-hmm. an argument for pretty much any of his movies, especially this uh, being John Malkovich, as you said. But I'm thinking of ending things probably is the most so. I think that film's a little bit more obvious because there are a lot of genre choices and editing choices that I think are just straight up horror. I don't even mm-hmm. think you have to make an argument for yeah. it. This, I, I think, is a bit more of a stretch, which is kind of what I was looking for. Oh, yeah. I so, mean, yeah. I, I would say probably out of the four choices, yours is the furthest. Yeah. Which, from Which is great. <laughs> I understand the assignment. You did. Exactly. (laughs) I'm really glad. And and that was mainly because I hadn't seen this in a while and I kind of didn't remember it. And then whenever I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a perfect choice. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So and and I wanted to get the Charlie Kaufman stuff out of the way at the beginning because I haven't seen a lot of his films. Yes. So don't spoil adaptation for me or or being John Malkovich. I'm going to get to him. Got to check him out, man. I'm a big Kaufman guy. And actually, if you want some more Kaufman thoughts from me, I was on uh, uh, the Meaning of podcast, which is from. Oh, yeah, yeah. first cut and we did an entire episode on most of his filmography oh, okay, cool. and it was the longest episode they've had so i'm very proud of that nice. <laughs> we just like dove into all of his movies and it was like i had to contain myself because his films are so rich that i could spend 90 minutes talking about one movie like we are today or i could spend you know mm-hmm. the, like some of like synecdoche new york for example it's like such a rich complex movie that it's like trying to limit it to 15 minutes i was like <laughs> really happy to yeah. abbreviate myself but yeah if you want some more Kaufman thoughts be sure to check out that podcast yeah I'm a I'm a big um Eternal Sunshine fan Amazing. it's in my it's in my top 10 it's, yeah, um, uh, favorite one of my all-time movies too. it yeah. was another candidate for um that I was thinking about picking for this month um which very is nice. fine I had like three Jim Carrey movies that could have been I in this month as well yeah very interesting because I also thought about The Mask even yeah which I watched uh the other night god I love that movie such a such a good one but I yeah, just want to talk I, about uh, the score of The Mask that movie is so fucking good but I'm telling you man Chuck Russell the dude's and a madman yeah, we just mad we just talked about Chuck Russell but Kaufman is also in interesting because so when you think about filmmakers in general it's like you know there's there's the directors that are you have your um directors that are your written and directed by directors yes that like kind of do like the full kind of scope of everything sure. very hands-on there's directors that will are like more hired guns or more or not even just the hired guns just like they're better at picking up someone else's script and then directing it a a journeyman if you will a journeyman like honestly that'll probably be the director that i am like i'll 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 direct a couple of my own scripts yeah but if i'm being honest like i'm a i'm like a tim burton like a story by devon i might not I'm going to come up with like the stories let, for my let movies. Let someone else do the hard work. I'm going to let someone else write because I'm not a great writer in that yeah. aspect, but I'm yeah. good at rewriting. Sure. So it's like you have, there's like those kind of filmmakers, mm-hmm. but then there's a small group of screenwriters that are more known for their screenwriting voice and sometimes overtake the filmmakers because Charlie Kaufman doesn't direct most of his movies. Yeah. Sor- that he's Sorkin written. would be another one of those. I would Aaron say Sorkin. Well. Yeah. Um, there was a, I had another uh, example. I don't know why I didn't write it down, but it's, <laughs> Um, but it, it, I find those yeah. uh, kind of guys fascinating when yeah. it's like you talk about them first before the director sometimes, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Kaufman is someone that later in his career kind of started to uh, direct his own works that he was making. And I think the films... Um, 
there's a, there, I don't know. There's like these different stages with Kaufman that I think you can watch something like being John Malkovich, which directed by Spike Jones, and you can appreciate the the kind of uh, the 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 pieces that kind of made the the tapestry or the quilt that is this movie. Where I really love seeing the kind of unadulterated vision of Charlie Kaufman, which I think is what you get. And I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, And in this film as well, it was the first movie that he had uh, directed himself, I believe. Uh, So it was really great to be able to see that vision come to life where you don't have to try as much to communicate things from page to a director and have them kind of take it Mm -hmm. and run with it. Uh, The Daniels are also great examples of that, too, Mm -hmm. as as filmmakers, as far as writing and directing um, Tarantino is probably the most well-known one. But yeah, Kaufman is a filmmaker that I'm almost more interested to see what the other uh, filmmaker does with uh, his work. Uh, But I also think that there's a lot of merit for uh, kind of his just, you know, mainline vision mm-hmm. uh, straight to screen. Um, I think there's room for bro- uh, for both. And I think his resume, it's not like it's not been successful. I uh, no. I like to love most of his movies. And he's a he's a very interesting guy. Um, I was like watching some interviews like he doesn't really like making movies. Like yeah. he loves movies and obviously and he like loves mm-hmm. storytelling. Yeah. But he doesn't really like the act of making movies yeah sure um he's a because he has a background in you know so many different mediums like right. you know um which we'll get into with this movie as mm-hmm. well but yeah. like um you know he just has such a particular brain and he's like he's one of those guys that like he, he does come off a little pretentious sometimes in, sure. in interviews he, but he's like that new york artist type of guy <laughs> like he just is like you yeah. know what i'm talking about yeah and, i do yeah and uh, but he's also one of those guys that like i almost feel bad for them because like He's one of those guys, his brain works in like such a very specific way. Yeah. And like, yeah, like it's hard to translate that other than in writing form where you can be very distinct and everything. It's yeah. like, I feel like he just has all these like kind of these ideas and like this, the the way that he goes about presenting them is just very interesting to me. Yeah. I, I, I kind of lump him into a similar camp uh, that I do with Lynch in the sense that I think they're both filmmakers that uh, are very specific in their voices and tell a story that is so unique, tell it in such a unique way, in an open-ended way that, uh, for example, like I'm thinking of any things, I think that there is an intention there, but I think based on your own kind of baggage in your own life, you can imprint kind of what you want to see and like what you think the story is you just watched Eraserhead for an example Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think Lynch and Kaufman are both filmmakers that uh, Lynch more specifically has been asked a lot of like hey what does fill in the blank movie mean and he's Mm -hmm. like watch the movie man like if I could communicate to you Mm -hmm. what it means I wouldn't have made a movie like exactly watch the movie and feel it and like that's the easiest way that I can communicate what I'm feeling in the story that I wanted to tell that's kind of the medium that uh, it was imprinted on and I think Kaufman is in a similar sense here of he has deal he deals with a lot of feelings and a lot of complex feelings Synecdoche New York is probably his most complex movie and it's like hard to get more introspective than that film especially with him as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. and also adaptation too he looks at himself a lot looks at creators a lot but i think that this is a film that i would say is probably his most universal you know most of his movies are about artists and about it's pretty accessible at least from what i can tell from his other films like this one universal in the sense that i think these are things that a lot of people deal with uh whereas Mm -hmm. like synecdoche new york being john malkovich and adaptation are all films that are about creators and and artists and Mm -hmm. i'd say between 
between Anomalisa and maybe Eternal Sunshine. It's it's a lot of kind of in one time of your life you've probably felt this way. And I, I it's great to see a movie that takes such a left of center approach. Uh, but tells that story. But mm-hmm. as far as the horror is concerned, to kind of bring it back to that, I think the very the specific choice to make it stop motion and to eliminate any distinctive traits of a lot of the supporting characters, and they just kind of have the the default blank expression, as well as the same voice actor who is uh, portraying all of the characters in this movie, which I think is a great detail. Great voice work by Tom Newman, uh, Noonan, who is also in Synecdoche, New York. Uh, he's worked with... Uh, Kaufman before but I think that specific choice to kind of remove all of that and alienate the protagonist as much as possible I think is what makes this film so unsettling and there's a lot of sequences in particular that are I think more meant to kind of derive fear from you so I think this movie walks a great line of being really unsettling and creepy but also super funny there's a lot of like really great human moments in Mm -hmm. this movie that I think Kaufman is like is, is is excellent at capturing yeah, we're going to let's go ahead and um I think this is pro- maybe our longest preamble before actually getting into the movie, but there's a lot to talk about here. There is, I'm there I'm is. very excited and again this is why I'm very excited for this month. Yes. So let's go ahead and get into our feature movie for the episode. Anomalisa, directed by Charlie Kaufman and Duke Johnson. Uh, Kaufman more on the creative end and did the co and did the writing, while Duke Johnson is a stop motion um, artist. Um, this was adapted from a audio play that Charlie Kaufman wrote. Um, the the composer of the film, Carter Burwell, who did the score for this and who is had an illustrious career of scoring uh, most of the Coen Brothers films, uh, Spike Jones's films, Todd Haynes's films, uh, two Oscar noms, and The Morning Show. So very Carter nice. Burwell, very um, uh, prolific uh, composer, and he was doing this series back in 2005 called Theater of the New Ear, where it was these like kind of audio plays, oh, but cool. there wasn't like any, so there wasn't any set design or anything like that. Cool. And um, but what they did was it would be like presented, and uh, Carter Burwell would be composing like a small like little band scoring it live. Okay. Yeah, and then there would also be a foley artist um oh, cool. doing the sound effects That's cool. so it's like basically you could like go and watch you could like close your eyes yeah but it'd be a play like a live radio play actually i did live some radio that, play yeah i did some of that kind of stuff in college and it's it's a lot of fun uh yeah. very stressful uh takes a lot of practice and a lot of uh, rehearsing to do it but that's that's really cool i didn't know that and that also Kaufman is is seems so interested in a lot of different types Other of mediums, art and yeah. a lot of different mm-hmm. mediums that often kind of fold in on itself. Uh, and I think that this is a good example of of that very idea. Yeah. So he um and it was uh, Jennifer Jason Lee mm-hmm. and um David Thewlis as well and um cool and uh, Noonan as well. So like this was them. And uh, they did it, and then they only did it for, like, a couple nights. They were supposed to uh, travel with it, and they never did. Oh, man. Um, so it was, like, a very limited thing. And um, and then later on, because uh, Kaufman originally wasn't gonna, didn't want to adapt this into a film. He didn't. He thought it would take away, Typ- like, the typical intention. Kaufman. <laughs> typical Kaufman. Typical, literally. Like, I, I forget what the actual wording was, but it was, like, basically, like, the, the artistic integrity yeah, sure. taken away or sure. whatever. Yeah. And so he very much was, like, you know, because it was intentional intended for that medium not this yeah but it makes so much sense 
Um, and then it was supposed to just be a 40 minute short film. Yeah. And then it, um, and they did it through Kickstarter. Yeah. And then, but then once they got uh, more money is when they translated it, um, into a feature film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, with the same exact cast and everything. And apparently he didn't really make too many changes to the original script either. So it's like still basically what they were doing, but like, so yeah. it'll be funny later when we're talking about certain scenes, like, you know, the sex scene, it was literally them sitting in chairs across from each other, like moaning just making mouth noises and everything with the foley artist making noises yeah it's it's funny now i'm thinking like throughout the movie there's one scene in particular where jennifer jason lee's character is eating food and it's very mouth driven yeah yeah that's a thing that just a personal thing drives me up the wall i hate when people are noisy eaters and i don't know if it's like the way that it's mixed if it's like intentionally supposed to be annoying but now that i'm thinking like Oh man, if I was in a theater and somebody's got a micro, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to make our listeners like oh. crash their car if they're driving. It, but it's talking about when your teeth um, clank on the, silverware, yeah, when you eat, which I also, totally yeah, understand. She's also like talking while she's eating, and that whole is just oh, so gross. So I just I would hate to like go to a, a local theater and there's just some <laughs> just somebody exactly. like into a microphone just making like chonching. No it would thanks. be it would be such a more <laughs> uncomfortable experience like getting to see this in person like it would be super cool yeah um but uh again this was that was in 2005 and then so this wouldn't be released till 10 years later on um december 30th 2015 where end of the year new year's weekend everybody's already feeling existential dread so drop this movie so kaufman you sick bastard i think that's hilarious is this another like kind of (laughs) holiday movie we've had like three or four of those recently of like christmas movies this is is... totally a new year's movie like when like when you think of like the themes of new year's i suppose like totally if you want to think of it so yeah this is a holiday movie (laughs) we can we can say that um it um only made eight million dollars on a um 5.7 million dollar budget um this scored 92 percent on rotten tomatoes out of 277 reviews has a letterbox average rating of 3.8 out of 5 not bad not bad at all um and you know we kind of already got into um pretty much like you know why you chose this and we're gonna kind of get a little deeper into it but uh some of the subgenres as far that you could like kind of push it into horror Mm -hmm. um i kind of have like this is a very much like a existential crisis type movie yeah um and a lot of paranoia you know the those are like kind of the two big ones as far as like you know what's going on and like that could be yeah uh perceived as horror but Mm -hmm. then this is also like you know kind of a a rom-drom yeah um you know a a brief little love story Mm -hmm. uh within that but uh yeah yeah it's also like a very funny movie there's a lot Mm -hmm. of moments in this there's a really good one early on uh with him on an airplane that i love and then there's also a great uh cab driver sequence that there's a lot oh my god just stuff like that where i'm just like (laughs) we've all been in that situation and it's, it's it's really great we'll we'll get into it but um yeah i think a lot of the movies that we're going to be talking about, um, I know that you had said that you had had some some feelings on the movie that you were going to pick, not to just continue to allude to like future episodes that we're doing, but like it was kind of what I was talking about. It's like depending on your own kind of baggage, we had talked before the show of like it's easy to watch something like The Exorcist or you know uh, any slasher movie or haunted mm-hmm. house movie and be like, yeah, it's horror because the the fear is a little more general. Yeah, and it's like it's ghosts and demons and mm-hmm. the devil and a murderer. Like we're, those are things that mm-hmm. universally most people are kind of scared of 
if you're going to get like very specific like this, it has to be specific as far as like, what is, what are you afraid of? Or like, what are things that make you uncomfortable? And I think this movie, as well as some of the others that we're going to be talking about, not only maybe rely on personal fears or anxieties that we have, but also force us as a viewer to like look inward more, which Mm -hmm. in and of itself is kind of scary, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, well, what are my personal fears? What are things that I uh, might be struggling with? I'm not, I don't think that I actually relate to this movie that much. I find it just more kind of uh, unsettling for some other reasons, Mm -hmm. Um, but it would be understandable that somebody could watch this or any of the other movies that we're going to be discussing and be like, no, that's scary because I've been there before and it yeah. freaks the shit out of me. Like how you, know? you said, like Shiva Baby is going to be like a nightmare for like, um, you know, people with social anxiety. Like this 100%, is this yeah. is one for like um, for uh, certain introverts. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I think this is like, you know, yeah. we'll touch in to their kind of fears. Yeah, people in their 40s are having like a midlife crisis, which is what the protagonist of this movie is dealing with. So. Yeah. Well, let's see what else is going on in this movie. Ray, for a 60 second synopsis, Gary. I am ready. All right. Let me get the one minute on the clock. And here we go in three, two, one, go. Devon, I want you to take your mind back to 2005. Uh, <laughs> we Belong Together by Mariah Carey is at the top of the Billboard <laughs> charts. Uh, and also you have Michael Stone, who is a uh, traveling uh, motivational speaker, customer service expert. And he goes to Cincinnati to uh, kind of speak at this conference to where he is promoting his newest book. And while he is there promoting it, he's having an emotional breakdown. Uh, mm-hmm. He is at this point in his life to where his marriage is on the rocks. He doesn't really relate or empathize with most people around them. He spent his entire life kind of pursuing a goal and talking to people in a certain way. And it's making him see everyone as uniform, see everyone in the same exact light, same voice, same cadence. And it's kind of made him lose his individuality in a sense until he meets a certain special someone. This person kind of rocks his world and he goes on this journey of self-discovery and also maybe finding this new lease on life. Or maybe he's just going to, again, have an emotional breakdown. (laughs) I or did a, it. or a or a new Lisa on life. Ah, very ah. good, very good. I'm usually doing the puns around here, so <laughs> got very good. I appreciate a good pun. Uh, got him. Yeah, you get you covered it. Are you starting to write yours now? Uh, no, I was looking. Oh, at, you're just still doing notes. No, I'm terrible with names, and so I was making oh. sure that I had like the the guy's name right, and then also like the the city and everything. But mm-hmm. no, that was that was off the dome, man. Okay, that okay. was freestyle. That was eight mile style. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> bars all day. Yeah, no, there's um, you know, the the first time I saw this because I, I wasn't super excited. Like, I mean, I was excited that you picked it because I was intrigued to see why. Yeah, but I wasn't sure if I was gonna enjoy this movie because mm-hmm. the the first time I saw it. I gave it two and a half stars. Okay. Okay. This is this is 2015. So I want to read a little excerpt from 2015 Devon's review. Oh, you have, review. The, you have the review. Interesting. This is like a little time capsule. I like this. We're popping oh in our DeLorean and going back. This was um this is whenever I was definitely um starting to get a little more pretentious with movies. <laughs> How old were you? Um, I was 21. Okay. That's 20. Good. That, that's a good age for 20, it. 2021. <laughs> so this is like my first, uh, this is only like my second year of, um, or no, I watched it in 2016. Okay. Or because it was at the beginning of the Still year. Still in your early twenties. And but yeah. as someone who is in their early twenties, I get it. This I was a, <laughs> like first or second year of letterbox, like first starting to do reviews and stuff, you know, like gotcha. 2016 was a big film year for me. I watched a lot of movies that year. Good. Hey, I've got, um, I think actually two of my favorite movies of all time are from that year. So yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, I, I gave it a two and a half star at the time. Okay. 
Um, and I was apparently utterly confused. I don't, it's fair. Which is funny because on this most recent watch, it I was like, oh, this all makes sense. Yeah, this all makes a lot of sense actually. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so you know, living life and stuff. But uh, a, a couple lines in this, you know, I admire the ambition, but it flew over my head. This won't be much of a review because I was lost, more of a ramble. Um, at the end, um, overall, I think this movie bit off more than it could chew. Mm -hmm. Either this movie was overambitious or I was just clueless. Hey, I mean, it's something uh, Kaufman is like really lends itself to when you first have it. It's just, you're trying to get everything and you're just like, what is going on? And it's, I think Kaufman as a filmmaker is generally someone that you can go back and really take a new appreciation or an enjoyment of it. I think Eternal Sunshine is a great example of that. When you first watch it, you're like, what is, this is crazy. And then I think you can go back and really start to feel it a lot. And then mm. you're just emotionally Tell devastated you, every fucking, time you watch it. I fucking feel it. All right. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that uh, Eternal Sunshine is us actually coming back very briefly to AMC theaters. You, I think you could go see it like this weekend. Uh, and it's like $5 fan favorites or whatever. Ooh. And I'm like, hey, stranger, do you want to come sit next to me while I just sob because of this movie? Yes, <laughs> let's go sob. Oh, my God. I don't because I've never gotten to see it on a big screen. I haven't oh. either. But I'm just like, I'm going to bring my tissues and a blanket because that's one <laughs> that movie, movie fucking wrecks me. That I think it's one of those. That's one movie that I cry almost every time I watch it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like that and uh, Blue Valentine get me every single time. The Blue Valentine is, every yeah, time. is a very, uh, both very like, like uh, very understandable movies. Mm -hmm. We'll say that. But yeah, the, both of those are just very upsetting in, in very different ways. Uh, Eternal Sunshine makes me sad, but also a little hopeful, which is good where Blue Valentine is just fucking like, oh my God, <laughs> what a wreck. But uh, yeah, I don't think Anomalisa is, is uh, you know, shaking any tears loose anytime soon. No. But different, different emotional reaction it, for it, sure. It, it, like at the end it like kind of has a fuzzy nice it's like a bittersweet ending like it's it's nice for her but not as much for for michael but yeah. um but on this on this rewatch because i haven't watched it since yeah. um since uh 2016 and uh, i like it a lot more nice uh understood everything it makes like i said it makes Look total sense hey I, that's proof you're getting smarter i that's was good. apparently <laughs> the second half didn't make any sense to me and i think i just missed the part that he totally was having a nightmare in like that whole nightmare sequence and i guess i didn't get that like yeah i, I don't know i guess i was too stoned whenever i went and saw that one possible yeah <laughs> i remember i remember the vibes were really weird in the theater mm -hmm. um i saw it at um my old favorite indie theater we had this tiny little indie theater i only had two two like, like auditoriums yeah oh, nice. back in uh, springfield only had two auditoriums nice each one only sat about 24 pe pe people maybe yeah that's the best yeah I something had, like that i had one of those back home too where it was like hey you want to go see this indie movie get ready to drive a half or an hour and a half to indianapolis exactly and, and go see this movie but yeah. see that yeah and that that was the case for us before the alamo draft house got in yeah but um but yeah so that was like the only place i could see indies yeah. And uh, they even took Movie Pass. Oh, man, the Movie Pass Sick. days! Remember Movie, movie Pass? pass I, I days. Might be making a a, a comeback. Uh, Apparently, uh, back with a vengeance. Those were great <laughs> days, man. I saved so much money. But anyways, yeah. Um, I, I, uh, the the vibes were just weird in there. I remember, like, because. But then it's funny because I was I was tweeting with a uh, former guest of the show Sloan. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were talking about like how uncomfortable their theater going experience was for it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, totally. And I was like, it's 
totally not a movie to watch in the theaters. Like this is a movie you like vibe out by yourself and watch it. But then when I think of, but this was before I was researching and then yeah. realized like that its original form was a live in-person event. Sure. Yeah. So it's like that, dis- that level of discomfort is very un- intentional yeah. during some of these moments. And sure. it's not as um, uncomfortable as I remembered it being. Um, I think it was maybe the New Year's feels were like hit me at the time and yeah. like just like kind of did that. But but it's very intentional. And like, again, like that's kind of a technique, you know, used in horror. You know, horror is meant to make you feel uncomfortable. uncomfortable yeah. it, it cracks me up when people when you mention a movie and they'll be like, uh, like I mentioned the movie uh, Creep to somebody the other day. They want recommendations. Sure. And they're like, oh, man, that movie made me feel so uncomfortable. And I, I go, hate it. Yeah. I go, yeah. Yeah. I go, good. Good. I go, that's, yeah. the, that's, that's the point. I was like, that's not a bad thing. It'd be but weirder if they were like, oh, man, I really I relate so with that movie. I was so comfortable. <laughs> that's my comfort movie. Like, that would be very odd, you know. Uh, but I, my first exposure to this. So this was one of those movies that I'm a, I'm a physical media collector. I've really cooled down in the past couple of years because of money. Uh, but also I haven't found a place out here in LA that I was able to get Blu-rays as cheap as I was back home. Mm-hmm. There was a pawn shop I had back home, $2 Blu-rays. This was one of those movies that I had just bought, never seen it, but I was like, I've been wanting to watch this two bucks, whatever. So I bought it. And then during the pandemic, I was at home uh, I was at my uh, my uh, home with my family, and I had a lot of movies, maybe like 30 or so, that I had accumulated that I would never seen. This was one of those movies. So I had actually mm. watched this during lockdown, okay. which I'll leave oh, you to decide is a, if it's a good time or not to watch that. <laughs> I could see how that's a horrible time to watch it, but then I could also see how it's the perfect time to watch it. Um, so I had I'd seen this movie as recently as just a couple of years ago. Interesting. Um, so this was a second time watch for me, but it, it was still very fresh in my mind. There was nothing that like... It wasn't quite like yours where I was like, oh, a totally new experience. Yeah. I liked it a little bit more this time because I, you know, like, like I said, it's one of those movies that you can go back and rewatch and the puzzle really starts to come together. Yeah. And it, it, interesting uh, uh, for a lockdown choice. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I think this would actually be rather comforting in the lockdown. Uh, yeah. I remember when lockdown happened initially. Um, I wasn't watching very many deep movies. Yeah. I was I, I, was, I was trying either. to watch just like weird fun stuff all the time. Yeah. I watched a lot of action movies during totally during lockdown because I was very much not trying to be like feeling too much. I, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I did that and then a lot of slasher movies uh, and then like uh, rom-coms or romantic movies because I, I binge watched the entire before trilogy and then I binge watched. I still need to watch those. Oh my God. I'm d- tell- Dude, if we want to, I'm saying if we want to get a emotionally just wrecked together it's either eternal sunshine or the before trilogy me but you and calorgus <laughs> just start crying just... Uh, but it was that like so i had that side of things where i'm watching mm-hmm. like the before trilogy and anomalisa and then i also binge watched the entire friday the 13th series so it's like i really kind of <laughs> it was that rom-coms and then uh, like really fucked up slasher movies and horror movies also watched like antichrist so i really had the best of both okay. worlds. but you know uh yeah i think that yeah this is a movie that's very existential but not in a way that's really upsetting like it's Mm -hmm. a very thoughtful movie but not in a way it's not it's not really depressing yeah Um, and and that's why i say this is like you know acceptable or accessible as far as you know charlie kaufman goes because like yes this is still very existential but it's not as um 
intimidating as no. some of his other works. Also you a know, lot shorter. For some people. Yeah. Very yeah, a lot shorter. And it's yeah. like I mean, honestly, it's like, you know, we're we're kinda of making a lot of references to a lot of other things in this episode. Sure. Because there isn't too much going on in this movie. Like it's once simple. we once yeah. we actually like get into the story of yeah. it, like there's really not too much going on. It's very exactly. I, I kind of forgot that like how contained it like was to the hotel. Yeah. Uh, which I really love. Uh, and the name of the hotel is an Easter egg to one of the main um, things of the film um, that kind of sums up a lot of the themes and has a big impact on the story, uh, which is uh, the Fregoli delusion. And this is a uh, psych. Um, mm, this is a uh, psychology thing. Um, it's a uh, delusion um, disease of yeah. sorts. And um, we are not we're not psychologists. You, I couldn't tell by you referring to it as a psychology thing. So. <laughs> Yeah, you I fooled me. I thought you were an expert. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't think of like where I was trying to get. But yeah, so we, we're not experts on this. But luckily, I uh, do have a friend that knows a lot more about this kind of stuff than I do. Um, his name is Mike Snoonian, and uh, he is a friend of the show. He does have an episode, um, Chilling in the Vault, um, which will. We're, we're releasing some Vault episodes next month, I Very promise. Nice. Very good. We've been yeah. talking about the Vault. Some of these episodes are coming out. Um, and Mike's episode is one of them. Actually, his will come out in July. But anyways. Um, it's Mike, coming. Um, and he uh, hosts uh, The Pod and the Pendulum, which is the podcast that I've shouted out a few times that I've made appearances on. Yeah. And he also hosts a show called Psychoanalysis, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Um, I listen to it all the time. And mm-hmm. they take a look at movies through a mental health um, lens uh, through horror movies. Um, and so they'll either take a, they'll either relate it to like a certain me- mental health topic or they do a uh, comfort movies yeah. um, and like kind of why horror is comforting to people. Sure. Um, so um, we're going to bring in Mike to kind of give us a little bit more of a uh, background on uh, Fregoli delusion um, it, to kind of explain some more of the things throughout the film. Yeah. So hopping in here for a hot second is Mike Snoonian, and he is one of the co-hosts of the Psychoanalysis Podcast, a podcast where they look at horror movies through a mental health lens. And uh, I want to welcome him on here to give us a little uh, psychology background. Mike, how you doing? Hey, Devon, I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Um, yeah, I just want to have you kind of um, come in here because you guys do such a great job on your podcast of, um, you know, uh, bringing these mental health topics in and then like kind of giving um, a little context into the movies. And uh, here in Anomalisa, um, you know, this is one of the few kind of portrayals we've seen of the Fregoli delusion in a film. So, um, and because that is also a pretty rare disorder. So, like, uh, give me a little brief background on it. Yeah, it is pretty rare. It falls under, like, basically the idea of delusions. Like, it almost is like schizophrenia in some sort of ways and that the person is harboring delusions. And a delusion is this idea that you the you the individual harbor some sort of power uh mm-hmm. whether it be people are like talking through the radio to you or you can communicate with others or that you have like some sort of superpower and this kind of delusion is more uh one of paranoia and mistaken identity in that mm-hmm. the individual that suffers from it feels like there is one individual that is disguising themselves in a number of different ways 
in order mm-hmm. to track that person somehow for some nefarious gain or purposes. Yeah, which is so interesting because we see that and the way that's, you know, uniquely presented the film is uh, all the other characters are voiced by one voice actor, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of who the character is. And then once Lisa comes in, this is like kind of what snaps him um, into, you know, realizing like kind of what's going on around him or yeah. what he thinks is going on around him. And, you know, he he's, you know, suffering from this and he's kind of going through like a midlife crisis of some sort. Like, would that kind of stress usually, um, you know, would that lead to something like this? Or is it, you know, something that um, is usually more associated with like more extreme traumas? Yeah, it's more extreme than that. Like just like a typical a stressor like that probably is not going to trigger those sort of delusions and the thing about paranoia and schizophrenia is they typically show up at a not a young age it's, you know they, it would be very rare for someone to have it as like an adolescent or a teenager but by your late late teens early 20s that might be when you start to see the first signs of it begin to emerge in the case of something like this it can be something like traumatic brain injury so a person that maybe suffered severe concussions or a severe accident that mm-hmm. somehow altered like the chemistry and physical shape of their brain um, can cause like a loss of functioning. Um, part of the symptoms you'll see in, a, in, in something like this is a loss of executive functioning and executive functioning are uh, a, a series of skills that basically help us maintain our order uh, help us like do our planning, help us with our social interactions, oh, okay. uh, help us with time management. Mm-hmm. Somebody with traumatic brain injury, when that occurs, uh, you can find that like self-monitoring uh, can really go by the wayside. Your thinking can, can become like much more rigid um, and flexible and you tend to get fixated on ideas more. For So in the case of this, in some ways, it's almost like it's kind of if it occurred through the traumatic brain injury, because that can affect memory. And because this idea, the idea of this particular disorder is you're recognizing uh, a specific individual in other individuals, it's Mm -hmm. almost like a coping mechanism. It's like, because you can no longer truly remember certain people, places, or events, you're ascribing those details to other people. And, and your thinking has gotten much more rigid, so you feel like it can be nefarious at that point. That's and that's very interesting because I was gonna ask like if this was almost a coping mechanism type of thing, mm-hmm. like you know to you know kind of displace you know mm-hmm. any sort of um, kind of responsibility or accountability for like themselves. Like, oh no, no, it's not me that's forgetting who this is or where this place is. It's because everything around me is out to get me and it's trying to sabotage yeah. me. So it's like kind of displacing that and like and like you said, like kind of use that as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Fascinating. And like I said, this is, you know, um, you know, it's a disease, you know, not too many people um, there's not too much information about it. Um, have there been any like significant studies recently? It's it's a it's a rare disorder. So like current research, it is kind of controversial because um, it's often coupled with like this disorder on its own would 
typically not be something, but you see it with things like schizophrenia, possibly bipolar or OCD. Uh, paranoia itself is now like its own classification or its mm -hmm. own disorder. So, you know, in, in the past, there was the idea of someone being like a paranoid schizophrenic. Uh, and now you see paranoia is actually in and of itself, like its own disorder, like separated from schizophrenia, although often the two uh, can be comorbid with one another. Um, hmm. Issues of like depersonalization come up, like that's one area that is studied, uh, and also like derealization, like those type of symptoms are studied to see like if that, how that affects this disorder as well. Okay, and like I think we see some of that depersonalization in the film, you know, because this character, it's you know, kind of ironic that he's mm -hmm. you know experiencing this while his whole thing at the end of the movie is you know giving this speech on individuality and like you know and being authentic and being individualistic and friendly and all these things that he isn't. You know, so uh, again, so it's like that's where he's kind of losing that for himself, you know, because he's, you know, losing himself as a husband, as a father, and now kind of at his job as well. So it's like he feels that and it like kind of just caves in around him. Yeah. And um, I, the last thing I was going to ask you about, because again, like since um, it's very rare, hasn't really been uh, depicted in too many uh, movies or anything, but whenever um, it listed in the Wikipedia uh, references was um, most recently in uh, the Suicide Squad with yep. Polka Dot Man, would yeah. he qualify for um, uh, suffering from this same he delusion? Would. He's basically, yeah. It's an idea like he keeps seeing. I think it's his mom. Yeah, his mom. Yeah, everywhere. So yeah, yeah, and that and that's more from the you know extreme physical trauma that you mm -hmm. were like kind of referencing because she you know experimented yeah. on him and everything. So mm -hmm. very fascinating. And um, you know, again, it's like you know Charlie Kaufman. Does he you know suffer from this? Most likely not. But it is interesting that throughout his films, paranoia is a very common thread amongst his filmography. Yeah, I haven't watched a Kaufman movie in forever. I think the last one I might have watched was White Orchid, the one with adaptation, maybe. Like, it's been a long time. I still have some blind spots I have to catch up yeah. on myself. You know, this is really only my, like, second Kaufman movie, mm -hmm. you know, and besides uh, Eternal Sunshine that he wrote. So yeah. I got some catch-up to do, but um, thank you for um, giving us a little bit of background. So that way I just wanted to kind of set the table a little bit before Anytime. me and Garrett move forward in this conversation and, like, you know, don't say anything that, like, you know, because obviously – uh, we don't come from psychology backgrounds, so I appreciate yeah, the insight. And uh, Mike, I mean, I kind of told them about the psychoanalysis podcast, but uh, where can the people find you and uh, tell them about your podcast? Yeah, the people can find me on the mean streets of Boston, roaming around. Uh, but you can find uh, my shows, uh, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, everywhere you get your podcast. And I also host The Pod and the Pendulum, another horror movie podcast that covers all franchises so look me up there and you can you know chat with me on twitter at mike underscore snoonian you know other than that kind of just kind of like living the dream so we that's are pretty much it we're all living the dream aren't we but yes please go mm -hmm. check out those podcasts guys psychoanalysis the only podcast i've ever taken notes during while i listen <clears throat> So yeah, 
needless to say, the the Fergoli delusion um, has a pretty big impact on the film as far as um, the thing of the main conceit of him. Everyone sounds the same. Everybody has the same voice and everybody looks the same. Mm-hmm. And um, which I love, you know, the way that um, they capture this with the casting. And um, I think it's super cool that, you know, everyone just has this like same voice and it like and and he's playing it like, you know, different people still like he's it, even though it's his voice, he's still playing the, the character that he's voicing. Yeah. So it's like when he when Noonan is doing Henry at the end is so disturbing. Like the like, kid? Yeah. Yes. It, it was like all yeah. it was like very uncanny. And then like, you know, all he does all the female voices. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just really funny. And and it's super cool. Like it's a it's very underrated like kind of what he's doing. You know, yeah. flipping between all these characters. It was something that when I first watched the movie I didn't know was like a part of it. And then it took mm-hmm. like two or three characters. I would say maybe I think it was like the hotel the guy at the hotel like the concierge to where I was like, is this the same actor? Like what's going on? But uh, yeah, some of the characters that we meet in this, uh, some of my favorites got to be the cab driver. Hilarious. Man. So, so good. The, um, uh, let's get into the cab driver. Cause this can kind of introduce us to Michael as well. I mean, it does introduce us to Michael. We yeah. get a, a sense of him again. He is like, why kind he's of, there. And yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's this introverted guy. He's there to do a speech. Um, he wrote this uh, self-help book. Yeah. Um, which I find very funny. It's a, totally. you know, and we find out later at the end, it's about, you know, being friendly and individualism. And yeah. we, meet, we meet him in, in this cab scene and, you know, he, I relate to this scene mm-hmm. because um, as somebody that has had frequent car issues and has to Uber quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I remember when I first came here, like uh, it, it, Uber drivers have chilled out now, sure. but it used to be like every uber driver wanted to talk to you so much oh yeah and i hate like i'm a like i I wouldn't say small talk is a fear of mine but i very much dislike it (laughs) oh for sure i am a staunch if i'm on an airplane please don't say anything to me like it like i i hate that it was like hey so what brings you to dallas i'm just like dude oh my god i'm that kind of i'm 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 different on the airplane actually i've i I mean i'm usually watching movies but i've made a a fun airplane buddy before and like that's different because we're on like the same level but it's like drivers it's like no you're you're kind of just you're doing a thing for me right now so just like and it's also like 10 minutes you know just do the thing yeah yeah that's totally fair i'm more of just like this is let's a to b man like let me just have my headphones in just enjoy the ride but i yeah i'm not a big small talk guy but yeah so funny Uh, yeah (laughs) Uh, so he has a couple of people it's funny because he has like both of those encounters there's somebody that he meets on the plane uh and there's a one of my favorite uh like uh, humor moments in this movie is he says the the plane is landing and he says oh that's over and he's like i'm sorry i grabbed your hand by the way i just get really nervous when i'm flying and he's he's i usually fly with my wife my wife and she's not with me and he's like no it's fine yeah it's okay and he's like but you can let go of my hand <laughs> you look over and he's like still grabbing onto his hand i remember apologizing. Uh, that's the that's the final line in the trailer i remember yeah. that <laughs> yeah good trailer moment but then yeah in the cab he meets this very enthusiastic cab driver in the sense that he keeps recommending that he goes to things and he just tells him finally he's like i'm just gonna be here for one day and he says 
oh, then you should go to the zoo. Like he continues <laughs> to recommend him stuff, even though he's like, I'm here on business. I'm doing something else. He's like, you got to recommend, you got to try the chili. There's also a great callback kind of not line, but he gets to the hotel and he's like kind of looking at the magazines that they have there. And one's like, a, here's what you, you know, call this for room service. And then there's another one that's like, welcome to Cincinnati. Got to try the chili. So a great callback. Uh, and and for the to, zoo uh, later too, there's a yeah. callback to the zoo as well. And like, yeah, it's so funny. Cause like, it, cause you know, me being a bartender, I have to listen to people talk quite oh, a bit, for sure. you yeah. know, and you, you, you serve as well. Yeah. And like, you know, and it, it's cause the guy, he's not being like overly rude or anything like the cab mainly, driver. Yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a pretty friendly guy, but then even though he does kind of get a little condescending with him, but then for it's sure. like, but you still want to keep talking to him. Yeah. So it's like, it's so funny. So like, I, I relate hard to Michael in that moment, even if Michael is a bit of a dick, we're going to learn throughout this movie that Michael is, kind of a dick he yeah he, he can sway back and forth between being like really charming but majority of the time he's a dick <laughs> yeah i think there's definitely a reason to that which we can uh dive in on but uh, michael is is someone that he has this really interesting kind of duality to him because he is introverted he doesn't really like to talk to people but also his job is being extroverted and talking mm-hmm. to people which kind of leads him to eventually kind of go on the journey that we see in this movie but yeah i think he's a fascinating character because in this one person you have somebody who is going on these two different completely directions to where his his job is to be a motivational speaker and to get people to be personable but he in and of himself is someone who doesn't see people as mm-hmm. people and just just like again you're the cab driver shut up and take me to my hotel you know which yeah and and it's funny because it's you know it's still presented in like a in a exaggerated way yeah you know like because like you know when he's calling the room service does that phone call need to take that long no yeah and they're you know, listing like, every ingredient so to it's what like he's buying you yeah. know I, I i so it's like i love that there's um they they do a really good thing with the timing of this movie yeah. where they hold things for just long enough as they yep. should like the cab scene like the yeah. cab scene goes on just long enough to where you're just like, oh my god, it's yeah. still happening. Yeah, and, there's, and then it's, yeah, there's, and then it, there's also the uh, concierge who's like, the concierge. He says like, can you get me a, a quiet room? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he's like, clickety clacking on his keyboard, and then he just like maintains eye contact for maybe like 15 seconds, and mm-hmm. there's just silence. And then like, <laughs> and then Dennis the bellhop was also hilarious. Was like, so good, yeah. Just because he was so polite and yeah. it got annoying, like how yeah. polite he was. Like, yeah. it's so the, these these uh, different interactions are really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the one that they, you know, do this timing thing the best, which, um, you know, we'll, we'll introduce Lisa here in a minute formally, yeah. but the, the scene where, um, actually, no, I'm gonna hold that scene. Cause that's a good scene for gotcha. other stuff. Sure. <clears throat> but yeah, so it's like all these, all these interactions, um, are really fun and the way that they, you know, there's, there's a dark sense of humor to this movie as sure. well. Yeah. Um, along to the, the kind of melancholy that we feel from Michael. Yeah. Um, and you know, so it's like, everybody sounds the same and it's like kind of gets to him and stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, he tries to like meet up with like an old flame that he like, again, just like yeah. left out on. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. yeah uh, because he's doesn't know how to properly have interactions with people yeah michael is a character someone that's like very sad like in a you don't necessarily pity him it's just kind of like he's he's sad and in kind of like a again he's like in his 40s having a midlife crisis kind of way to where you're just like oh dude like it's it's like almost pathetic you know um but i think it's he's 
he's not too much of an asshole to where he's irredeemable and you can't oh, definitely you, not. it's not that you're rooting for him in this movie but you can't empathize with him in a way i think a lot of the interactions that he has with the concierge and the bellhop and the cab driver and the guy on the airplane i think all of those lead us to be like we've been in similar situations and we're trying he's not like outwardly an asshole to them he's just maybe a little curt with them or a little short mm-hmm. or maybe not engaging as much but i think we've all we've all done stuff like I'm that, that you way. know yeah like i feel like i'm that way with a lot of people sometimes like Sure. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes people will say something, yeah, and they'll like get like through a whole thing, and I won't even respond. Yeah, sometimes, sure, yeah. sometimes like I'll just like be at work, and they'll like get through a whole thing. I just kind of walk away, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm I'm I can't help it. Sometimes, yeah, I, I think it's something that uh, you know I like to think I'm a pretty personable person, but they've also you know worked in customer service for a long time. I think I've maybe feel it the most at work to where I've said this before. It's like I feel like a lot of the customer interactions I have with people. I don't really recognize them as people. It's just kind of like, you're just, I, I have to fulfill my mandate to you and then you pay and leave. And then the next person comes mm-hmm. in. I think it's something that if you've never worked in customer service before, might be something that you're like, I don't understand how you could really do that. Or, but I think once you work in the service industry for long enough, you're like, oh dude, I know what you're exactly talking no. about where you're on autopilot for five hours and everyone you talk to, it's like your brain and your mouth are just completely disconnected. Yeah, oh, it's a weird experience. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely in that now like i feel like that's why i relate like i related to michael a little bit more in this one like kind of getting back to what you were saying like not everybody does relate to this like and you do like kind of he is a little pathetic to a degree or it is like kind of one of the things that you could like look at him and go like okay dude is your life really that bad sure but at the same time it's you know that's where it's relative and personal to everyone like you know like on you know from the outside we can say he seems kind of pathetic but like yeah you know he could somebody in his situation could still be like truly hurting you know yeah and but like you know and i relate to him in the fact of like again i'm i consider myself more of an introvert and like people are always kind of surprised by that i'm like one or i call myself like one of those extroverted introverts Mm -hmm. like yeah i can be very friendly and outgoing and like in like a uh, a gathering situation i'm a right. little bit more you know out there but like in general i'm pretty introverted i kind of keep to myself a lot sure and like you know and when i'm at work i can talk to when i'm at work i can talk to strangers like it's nothing and like yeah. you know and like instantly connect but then like if i go to a bar by myself and there's a like stranger sit next to me i like won't talk to them Totally. I go to the skating rink by myself. I won't talk to anyone. I just yeah. skate for three hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally understand that. And I, I think, yeah, the the it's interesting because the journey that he's going on in this movie is one that I it, it's not like he's having this complete mental breakdown. I think a lot of what we're seeing in this movie is not to be taken super literally. Um, I think mm-hmm. a lot of it is metaphorical oh, yeah. to where he is starting to see everybody as just these kind of expressionless, just kind of blank faces and and the voices don't really have any magic or melody to them until we meet Lisa in this movie. And I think a lot of that is his career, I think is very specifically chosen by Kaufman. And I think it's really fascinating that he has this job in customer service where he is helping people who also work in customer service to be more personable, to be more lively and productive. Mm-hmm. Even the kind of the hotel manager says like, oh, since reading your book, the hotel uh, productivity is up 90% or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I think that because of that, he has seen everybody as a customer, has seen every interaction as transactional. He's not seen it as this personal kind of relationship in a way. Uh, and until he meets Lisa in this movie, who is and 
Yeah. Man, the way that they introduce Lisa to this mm-hmm. and like why it works for like the whole like the whole style like works for yeah. this. Yeah. Like it didn't hit me the first time like it did this time around. Like mm-hmm. like after you you know went like a good what 35 minutes or so, maybe yeah. even 40 minutes before right. we actually meet Lisa. Yeah. And once you go through that of hearing only, you know, mainly one voice besides Davis Thewlis, you're just hearing one other voice for this long. Yeah. So like when you do hear her voice for the first time, it like cuts through. Yeah. It's like a real breath of fresh air. They like make it like, yeah, like just the way it comes in is so interesting. And like, um, uh, you know, played by played by Jam for Jason Lee. And this is like another one of those movies that like, um, it's similar to her. It makes me upset that, um voice actors don't get nominated for academy awards yeah sure or if they didn't have their own category because like this is a performance i would nominate like she is so fucking good she's great yeah uh the like you know she she obviously like really liked the character we were watching like a little bit of an interview beforehand Mm -hmm. and uh she really enjoyed the character and like doing that you know live experience of it um and you know and she and she mentioned like you know how important it was to make this stop motion because it kind of makes more sense like you know the you wouldn't have that same vocal effect yeah you know if doing in live action yeah you know you would be distracted by like you know you'd have to like cgi a bunch of people that all look the same yeah and like the voice dubbing wouldn't like go properly you know so it's like yeah so her her voice performance is so good this is a thing that if this was a live action film uh i don't think would be as much of a stretch to see it as kind of like an almost horror movie because it would be a nightmare like it would be the scariest thing i've ever seen that's actually a good point yeah that is that is maybe the one thing that you change for this movie if it was live action it would be a lot scarier yeah i think it being and i can prove that and if you watch you haven't seen it yet but there's a scene in being john malkovich to where all mm-hmm. of the characters have similar faces in one particular scene and it's like the most bizarre unnerving shit out there so like i think that this is that is huh. one of the key ingredients that um and and removing all of that kind of uh, individuality and defining features but making it animated i think it's kind of an easier pill to swallow and it doesn't lead as much to fear as much it's more of just kind of this seeing the world is gray and making yeah. the film making like us uh, empathize with this character and maybe not feel i think that might be distracting you know if, if this was to have more of an overt horror angle i think we would feel fear more and feel more uh just dis- like feel disturbed as opposed to kind of as an audience member trying to feel this kind of monotone monotonous mm-hmm. kind of you know, it's not supposed to elicit a strong reaction into us. It's supposed to elicit kind of like a just seeing the world as gray and it's just mm-hmm. wallpaper, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and they even did that with like intentional stuff of like, you know, they intentionally left like the visible seams on the faces. Yeah. Um, and like and then we kind of like see when we do kind of get some more of the, the horror imagery later when he's like dropping his face and shit. Or yeah. he's like that that mirror scene is yeah. creepy as fuck where really, he's yeah. just staring in the mirror and the mouths are changing. Yeah, really, uh, yeah. Right before he meets Lisa, like that's Lisa's what snaps him out of that that hallucination. Yeah, uh, which, which is, is crazy, which is a really one of the more overt kind of scenes and is, you know, 
Uh, again, we've seen stuff like that in horror movies, like look at like Poltergeist, where he's kind of like pulling away at his face. Mm-hmm. If that was a live action scene, it would be completely upsetting. Oh, you know? oh my goodness. Yeah. That mirror scene would be terrifying yeah, in live yeah, action. Yeah, there's a lot of, I, I think, scenes and moments in this movie that, yeah, if, it, if maybe, yeah, you're maybe right. It is, it is that key ingredient to where if you yeah. add that and it's live action, it's like, Jesus, this is the scariest movie I've ever seen. But um, yeah, I think because it's animated, it is kind of an easier pill to swallow in a way. Mm-hmm. And and with you know the introduction of Lisa, you know um, he he uh, Michael goes out with Lisa and her friend, mm-hmm. and which uh, Michael has a wife and kid by the way. Yes, um, I mean we mentioned the kid earlier, but he has a wife and kid, so he's going out with these gals, right? You know because he's just so yeah uh, in enraptured by her, and you know we see his you know more charming side come out, and um, you know and Lisa's character is like you know like. You know, he's having this like uh, a luminous moment, you know, of meeting her and she's yeah. just kind of like, you know, I'm just kind of she doesn't really think much of herself. And and I feel like, you know, that's where some more fear aspects can come in, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, her insecurities about herself, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, even something as simple as like, you know, singing in front of someone that you don't know that you and yeah. if, if you're not girls a, just want to have fun singing, <laughs> i love sad renditions of that song yeah. why does it hit better when it's sad yeah because uh, this one's up there with the glee version again this <laughs> this uh the scene um oscar moment like it's really like it like gave me goosebumps yeah yeah, I think her character as a whole, it, she is kind of the opposite of Michael in a lot of ways to where he is someone that is so egomaniacal and doesn't mm-hmm. see anybody else for for who they are and just kind of sees what, what again, he sees people as transactional uh, and, and, and do, doesn't really... Uh, doesn't really intentionally uh, give people attention or, mm-hmm. or has these conversations with intention. And she's somebody that really just kind of sticks to herself and maybe thinks that her friend is a prettier friend or that people are more yep. interested in talking mm-hmm. to her as opposed to just assuming that people are going to be interested in you and want to talk to you or want to sleep with you. Like Michael does calls up an old flame who comes and meet him at the hotel bar. And he's just assuming that things are going to work out because he just kind of put this relationship on pause and just right. assumes that he's going to come back and what it's going to pick back up where, where it was. And she's like, dude, I missed you. Like what happened? You know? So yeah, they are kind of this opposites attract in a way mm-hmm. to where she just kind of looks up to Michael and sees him as maybe aspirational, somebody that she like maybe would hope to be. Uh, but uh, obviously because of the way the relationship works out, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad they're not a good fit. <laughs> well, and, and even so, like, even though she's like very insecure about everything, yeah. she um, it still has more realistic like reaction to like kind of the whole situation versus like at the end of the day, he is, it is still his idea yeah. uh, that he's more his idea of her and like what she represents is more interesting than what she actually is. And totally. I think that I think that's demonstrated by like, you know, in the later half of the movie, you know, Lisa's voice starts merging with uh, the male voice again that he's been hearing. Yeah. So it's like, you know, she's going to turn into one of the gray voices again and then yeah. he's going to you know have to go about until someone else has this moment for him. Yeah. And it's really fascinating, too, because I think that is showing 
that it's not her that's the fault like at fault here and there's a really great scene we had talked about as far as like the eating is concerned uh like the the eating with your or, or speaking with your mouth full of food that scene it's kind of the morning after they they have sex and they and they wake up in the morning and they they order a, a room service and they're eating and she's he's starting to kind of notice the flaws a little bit more to where she does eat with her mouth full and she does clank her fork against her teeth and it is that kind of showing that she's not the problem here it's michael continuing to just let the 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 so-called faults of people make kind of surrender their individuality as a sense to where they just he just continues to kind of see oh they're not as perfect as i thought that they would be and when she eventually leaves she regains her own voice and Mm -hmm. her friend that she's with also kind of has more distinct uh, physical features to whereas before they were just a normal person but when they're in the car and they're yeah they're uh separated from michael it's no it's all of these people that we've met in the movie are real people and they do go home and have their own lives it's kind mm-hmm. of something that i have related to in the sense of and i know a lot of people have too to where it's like do you ever go to like a a basketball game or a concert or something like that. And there's a hundred thousand people there and you just look at everybody and you're like, everybody goes home and they Mm -hmm. live their own life and they're going to continue to do so after this. And it's just kind of that weird, like NPC kind of main character kind of energy. But but then, but then you meet that one concert buddy. That's what it is, man. And it sparks it up and it feels very (laughs) intense. That fucking festival fling. Yeah. Oh, I know that. (laughs) That shit is so real. Uh, Lisa is the festival fling. Uh, She is. I mean, not to reduce uh, Lisa because Lisa (laughs) is not just a festival fling. She is a real person. She's her own person. But like that feeling. I get what you're saying though. That's what I put that on. Um, Yeah. Dang. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know why I found I, I relate to this movie quite a bit. Yeah. I'm thinking it, about it. It's just something I think is a lot of times is, is maybe people get older uh, and they are a little bit more egocentric. And I especially think if you're in a position, Michael's not like in a position of power. He's like well known no. enough to where people know him yeah. and like <laughs> maybe admire him or buy their book or whatever. But enough to where it's like he's not seeing people as peers anymore. He's just kind of seeing people as, again, transactional or obligations. Mm-hmm. I love that he even in his own family, his son, he's like, I got to get my son something. And he just is like, what's the nearest place I can just kind of fulfill that and you know, kind of tick that box. And it's uh, a great misunderstanding. He was talking to the cab driver and he's like, I need to go to a toy store. And the cab driver's like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Well, there's this great place called whatever down the street. And he goes and it's a sex shop. And he's just, mm-hmm. instead of just going literally anywhere else or he's just still... waiting until he goes to the airport, he just buys like this fucking model. I mean, he was drunk to, to to get to defend him, him a little a bit, little bit but, but yeah he still goes and buys this weird like like mechanical i don't know what the exact but it's like this japanese toy that leaks like semen it's really gross and he gives me what semen <laughs> <laughs> it's a liquid honey yeah he just gives it to his kid and he's like i don't hear you go you know it's it's really funny but it's also like kind of sad in a way so it's, yeah that, that that ending scene is so sad and funny yeah <laughs> because like one because it, it's fucked up that like when it gets to a point that like um you know michael's like i'm gonna leave my wife i'm gonna leave my kids but this is when he's like kind of yeah he's already had like the bad dream and we'll get into that here in a minute yeah but um it's <laughs> so funny he's like because it's sad he's you know willing to leave his like wife and kid but then when we meet the kid at the end mm-hmm. and we hear that voice the voice coming from the kid and like how annoying the kid is i was yeah. like fuck i get it michael <laughs> fuck that kid <laughs> fuck henry it, i think it's interesting though because 
let's say that he does meet Jennifer Jason Lee or, or Lisa's character and she is that special person and he does end up leaving everything to yeah. be with this person. I think that's kind of a bad message to send because I think it's then showing. Oh, totally. Oh, you know, okay. If you are in an unhappy marriage and just, this person just, isn't fulfilling yeah. that, just find the person who's better or who fulfills yeah. that kind of temporary need that you that have way. where it doesn't work that way. It's like, no dude, you're the problem. Like you need to figure you, obviously it's a case by case basis, but assuming in this relationship the the wife is she's constantly asking like what did i do wrong you know like they uh the, you have the character who writes michael a letter who is just like confused and just kind of yeah just like yeah just up and left like a dick exactly and he would have done the exact same thing to lisa exactly uh, it would have just yeah. been a matter of time exactly and like yeah and we see that like pretty quickly like yeah it's funny he accuses lisa of being controlling but totally. he's the one doing it yeah but let's let's but before we get to like some of the more horrific points yeah. Or, I don't know, this might be horrific to other people. Puppet sex. The puppet sex in this is, I could see it being really funny, um, but Mm -hmm. it strikes me as kind of sweet, kind of earnest in a way. I think it's done very tastefully, and it's, like, not Team America to where it's completely ridiculous, you know? No, totally not. But, no, it's actually a very, like, human scene. Like, it's like this, uh, you know, the the night after, you know, between Michael and Lisa is sweet. Like, it is sweet. Um, It's cute. And, like... yeah. Um, and, it, but then it like has like, uh, these like, you know, very human moments like depicted that like isn't depicted in like sex in real movies and live yeah. action because they don't have time for it. You sure. know, they don't have time for the, the moments where you're going down on some way and they are telling you what they like and don't like. Sure. You don't see that. That's not, that's not yeah. sexy in movies, totally. but in real life, like, you know, that's what people do. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, you know, and, and like, um, you know, and just like the even even it is still funny when he's kind of like you know like oh like should it like what do you want me to say like if yeah. you want me to talk and he's like oh, I can just like make some noises like yeah. you can moan you yeah. know and like stuff like that like it's really funny yeah. it was a uh, it was really funny um so it's like um it, again it's it's very interesting this um movie rated R for obviously puppet sex was the first rated R animated film to be nominated for best animated feature yeah for the oscars uh and i uh it's funny there's actually a surprisingly long list of movies that feature puppet sex like a team america as i said you got this and you got that god-awful happy time murders movie that came out a few years ago um but this is definitely the one that plays it the most serious uh and i think yeah that moment is really intimate and it's kind of sweet in a way it's kind of like depressingly sweet because you have these two people who obviously have this void in their life and they're looking for somebody to fulfill that. Mm -hmm. And they both kind of fulfill it in different ways. And you kind of have these two sad people come together and not be sad for just a little bit, you know, and, and have that connection. So, uh, yeah, it's, it is a really unique, uh, scene. I could see how some people might find it funny or or silly, but I, I don't, yeah, I, I didn't find it I, I found it like I was like, oh, well, OK, well, the first time I watched it. And then this time I think I was able to find the humanity in it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we get we get full puppet dick. We oh, get, yeah. We get uh, we get puppet masturbation earlier in the movie when yeah, he sees uh, the guy in the window, which is, I just found really funny. Imagine doing this stop motion. I wouldn't stop. I wouldn't be able to stop laughing because I'm, yeah. I'm a 13 a year child, old at yeah, heart. Yeah. Like literally spending weeks animating a sequence of making a little puppet jerk off (laughs) is just hilarious to me the whole process which you know we haven't really yeah said much about um kind of the the filmmaking and i guess that can will translate into uh some more of the horror elements here yeah in uh the in the last act 
But, you know, stop motion, always appreciate it because totally. it's painstaking. I did a stop motion music video. Um, oh, cool. uh, I was an assistant on it. And it's fucking, it's like very painstaking, but yeah. it's very cool and interesting. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite films are stop motion, you know, Coraline and Nightmare uh, Before Christmas. Nightmare Before and, Christmas. Yeah. And, and it, you know, for a lot of people, stop motion does always kind of have a, a kind of like uncanny creepiness to it mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, this movie is like, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Like it, it like very much still looks like they, they very much lit it like a live action movie. Sure. But it's still stop motion. It's very, it's fucking gorgeous. I love the animation here. Yeah, and it's, it's. I think that's specifically because you have two people directing this. You have somebody like Duke Johnson who is more in charge of the stop motion stuff, where Charlie Kaufman is uh, someone who's worked in live action as a as a filmmaker and understands like how you would light a human and how mm-hmm. you would shoot a human, not shoot like with a gun, like shoot with like a camera. So I think the way that he uh, that he shoots this movie is meant to be more naturalistic and is meant to be uh uh you know how you would expect to see a normal live action movie uh and yeah again i think if he was to just make it live action it would be very upsetting and and unnerving i don't think it would be uh, one able to do at a budget because you'd be doing a lot of cg work on people's faces and face swapping to just make this like blank mm-hmm. kind of human but i think in animation it works so well and i love that you know you, you talked about something like Coraline, which or you know any of the Leica movies which are totally gorgeous obviously very stylized and mm-hmm. very uh the proportions are not accurate to like what a human looks like just like pixar is to where this is it's meant to just it, look like a person they you literally know? do yeah like and they it, have yeah. like normal body forms and yeah. like you know it's even noted and mentioned you know you know lisa has insecurities about her body which which is interesting she accuses michael like she's like you're not like some sort of perv or like chubby chaser are you and yeah. it's like he's the chubby one like she like looks good for a for a naked puppet body <laughs> yeah but, they're just like both like totally normal, normal. people. well she, i think he she says like because he offers to kiss her on her like scar or whatever is oh, going yeah. on and her face and she of, says you're not like a chubby chaser but for scars or something you know yeah which is yeah. also a fun detail because like again like all the faces look the same they just swap out um hair for yeah. characters but yeah. uh lisa is one of the few she has color in her hair yeah she has a different face and she has a scar yeah, I think the the stop motion is really uh, meticulous and 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 so so well done. Um, I, I absolutely deserves that Oscar nomination that it got. But yeah, I love that the way that the faces are separated. You can really emote on like different subtleties that you would have in an actor to where it's not something like. Like if you were to look at uh, uh, Jack the Pumpkin King, for example, yeah, yeah, they have forty different faces. But if you look at the faces, they're all very exaggerated, and he's got this big grimace or these huge eyes or these really tiny eyes to where he's squinting. To where it's this, I think there's a lot of small, like specific changes that are made that would be more of like the minute facial expressions that it, that a human would have. They even blink in this movie, to which I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I've never done stop motion. I'm like, do you really have to go and like close the eyelids every single? Yeah, you want to do that it's just like damn that's like that's a commitment there literally they even like um made the 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 twist in the martini swish around in the glass like the the attention to detail is insane but yeah um the some of the techniques make it interesting when you know we do kind of get this more thrilling third act um you know he has this uh, nightmare after he has sex with lisa yeah and um you know where um where it's like 
he where he is validated essentially it's like you know everybody is the same it is yeah. all the same voices and it's like yeah. him having this moment of like realization like sure. trying to run away from it sure um in the dream is uh super creepy it totally got me i forgot that this was a dream yeah um it was one of those ones i was like oh good job you got me yeah um i, li- I like when a dream sequence is effective in that in yeah. that way i, I, I think it's uh, it's a cliche that i think a lot of people could be like annoyed by it's just like oh it was all a dream but i think it's done so well in this and it's also it's it's kind of the, uh, the, the the kicking off point for Michael to kind of have this realization, um, and he starts to see things really differently after this. Like you said, it is kind of confirming fears that he already kind of knows. Um, but I think because of this, we start to see a real change in Michael and 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 kind of understand. Because I think when you're watching the movie, you're you're wondering like, is this what you know why is the reason that we're seeing this what is the reason that that michael is seeing this is it does is it what he sees is it do we just see it you know you kind of have these questions and in this moment you're really able to be in michael's shoes understand that no this is actually something that he is seeing and is a real threat but you know of course when it's revealed that it's a dream uh, i think it becomes uh, a lot more uh, metaphorical a lot less literal and I think, yeah, because of that scene, it kind of makes the message of the movie a little bit clearer or a little bit more, um, yeah, I guess clearer is a good way to put it. Um, yeah, the, the uh, also just apart from being really creepy and upsetting, you know, like the the scene where he's leaving the that meeting with the, the hotel manager and there's just like row after row and desk after desk of all of the people who were talking mm-hmm. to him the same way and have all of the f- same face uh, facial expressions it's it's very upsetting and then running down the hallway and the hallways getting darker and darker yeah not only is it really upsetting but i think also tells a lot about michael and kind of the the journey and this breakdown that he's that he's having at this point in his life yeah it um you know again there is um, always, you know, this uh, kind of fear when, um, you know, the the midlife crisis is such a, yeah, uh, um, you know, recognizable thing. It's a, uh, you know, synonymous, and a lot of people, you know, it, it's a pretty universal thing. Sure. Um, you know, and everybody, it's like, you know, people joke around about like, oh, I'm gonna hit my, you know, midlife yeah. crisis here soon, but then yeah. like, you know, once it actually does happen, mm-hmm. you know, it's a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's interesting the way that they captured it. Yeah. Um, and then like, I mean, especially like the stop motion running would be so fucking hard. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how they did that. I was also wondering how they did like the steam. Like it's the cover of the movie where he's like in the he gets out of the shower, and yeah. I'm like, how do you? I'm sure there's an answer, but I'm just like. Is that CG? Like, what did you, how did you do that? Like, it's very impressive. Yeah. Is there not a, a bonus feature on the Blu-ray? I'm sure there is. Yeah, a, 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 should, a better co-host of the podcast would have watched it, <laughs> but I did not. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it's crazy. And, um, and also the, you know, but then that's a, you know, that's a dream sequence. And like, obviously like, you know, that, that comes up in horror movies quite a bit, but then like yeah. this, uh, the, the final scene too, where he's, uh, you know, having a, his breakdown during his speech sure is, um, you know, I know, um, you know, fear of public speaking is a very common fear for a lot of people. Totally. Um, but you know, that's already something he's good at in his job, but then like having this breakdown while he's doing it was like a fucking nightmare <laughs> yeah but i i do love that it's also kind of the first time that he's been able to be real you know it's it's the first time that he's been able to be honest about what he's struggling with and what he's what he's feeling is in front of a crowd you know like that's kind of that's been kind of the impetus of of the the struggles that he's been having and seeing everybody as transactional and seeing everybody as a customer but it's also the same 
kind of, uh, uh, I guess, this the same kind of impetus of him being uh, having this sense of catharsis or this yeah. kind of, he, uh, at the end of the movie, he's not cured, he's not done. It's something that he's still going to have to struggle with, but it's the same kind of, it's the, it's the first point to where he's been honest about it uh, with with what he's going on. Yes. I know I'm kind of rambling a no, little he, bit. No, he yeah. he like has the realization. Yeah, uh, essentially, is like it, you know even though he does this speech all the time and yeah. does all these you know public speaking things. Yeah. Um. After he's like kind of has this like you know breakthrough with Lisa and everything. Right. Because I mean I'm not gonna say that like Lisa. You know we did say that. Um, you know, Lisa would kind of become like, you know, everyone else in his life. But yeah, I think, you know, she does stand as a special moment and like, and, you know, a reason for him to like kind of have this like crack a little bit. Sure. So it's like he has that realization. And then like after having that realization and then saying those words out of his mouth, like mm-hmm. him literally just bullshitting, you yeah. know, essentially like, yeah. you know, the being friendly, the individualism, like yeah. literally he, it's like you, you, you when you when you're arguing with somebody and you realize that you're wrong as you're saying it, but you have to just keep going because you're already in it. Yeah. Keep believing the lie. Yeah. 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 That's pretty much what I equated uh, his meltdown to. (laughs) Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think that maybe Lisa to him is, she is the anomaly. The anomaly. So of course is is the title of the film, but I think it's also, him having this moment of this person that I thought was different. And this person that I thought is, is, is the anomaly turned it turned out to just be the same as everybody else, which kind of makes leads him to believe. I think that he is the problem and that it's something that he needs to change on and something that he needs to grow with. And it's not just going to be, Oh, if I just, it's that kind of grass is greener mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, Oh, if I just found that one person that could bring the magic back into my life, it's like, no, dude, you, you need to probably go to therapy, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> yeah. So the, you know, the, the back end does have more horror elements than I remembered it to. Yeah. That I was kind of a little more surprised. Like it definitely is there, but like, um, you know, would this movie even come close to being a psychological thriller or anything? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. No. Because it does spend so much time on, uh, on the romance. Um, and it is more about just like kind of human connection yeah you know and um, or the lack thereof or know? lack thereof yeah. yeah so um you know so when i think of you know again other than it being uh stop motion instead of live action like why wouldn't this movie be horror mm-hmm. um because i mean it definitely isn't but um, no yeah i think it's like a uh, the reason i chose this is because it is missing just a key few elements yeah key uh some key elements that would absolutely make it really upsetting or really unnerving but i think because of that it, it it's not um i think one that you could still maintain the animation but have more of an uneasy feeling is maybe the score uh, the score of this movie, I think, is really understated. Um, it's not meant to unnerve you in a way. I think it's supposed to be a little bit more naturalistic. There's a lot of natural sounds just kind of happening mm-hmm. of in the car, at the at the bar, and there's like jazz playing or something. And the way like even that. Yeah. even the way that they uh, intro and outro the movie, yeah, um, it's yeah. just a black screen with yeah. uh, a bunch of chattering and totally yeah. talking and noises and yeah. stuff like that. So I think if, if it was going to have a score that was a little bit more obvious or a little bit more menace to it, I think mm-hmm. would make it a lot more horrifying. Uh, I think, yeah, like a pretty surefire way to make it creepy is make it live action. You know, that's really upsetting. It, I think, I think that, yeah, really is the, the key yeah. uh, one right there. Yeah. I mean, I think the score part's going to kind of come up with a lot of these movies. Yeah. 
Um, you know, like, cause I feel like, you know, that can, I mean, totally. there's been YouTube series of doing yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah. change this movie with the score, you know? And, um, so yeah. that'll come up a lot, but, but I, I think the, so I think there are some definite, uh, just kind of the, uh, filmmaking techniques that are found in horror movies that are not, are kind of absent in this, but I think the, the things that are here is just kind of this idea of falling out of love with life and in this kind of universal fear of just becoming really complacent with life and then life losing its color mm-hmm. and life losing its luster. I think that that's something particularly as we get older, you yeah. know, and as something as I hopefully one day we'll, we'll reach the same age as Michael. And, and hopefully I don't have that same kind of struggle and fear or just kind of, bored seeing life as monotonous and this idea of mundane uh mundanity mundanity uh however you pronounce Ma- it modernity Ma- modernity Ma- <laughs> maternity how about that uh but yeah kind of seeing life as uh as monotonous and just kind of having this grayness to it i think that that's something that is not only this like pretty sad but just kind of scary in a way uh and i think yeah if you would have those kind of uh filmmaking techniques i think it would be a lot more obvious because i don't necessarily think that's what what we're supposed to feel Mm-mm. other than those few scenes of it's this very bizarre kind of upsetting disturbing sense to it but it's not it's not too overt which i think is kind of the point of this this month here yeah i don't think the movie is um overtly trying to scare you even with those you know bad dream sequences i mean they're there to you know unnerve you a little bit but you know it's more there to kind of just show you know what's going on in michael's brain yeah rather than to like scare us as the audience yeah Um, a nightmare yeah Yeah, so uh out of uh, out of uh, how many uh, puppets would you give this? I'll, I'll five puppets. Um, as far as just the film on its own, uh, when I first watched this, I was at a four out of five. Uh, I bumped it up another half star, so I'm at a four and a four and a half out of five on this go around. Uh, but as far as if it was purely a horror movie. I would say maybe a three out of five as far as like the scare there, but as a movie on its own, I, I have a crisp four out of five at a, at a five here, uh, four and a half out of five. Um, really big fan of this movie. Um, I think it's journey that Michael goes on is something that uh, is, is universal enough uh, to where his journey is not too isolating. Um, I think it's a really creative approach to tell a story that is kind of universal. This idea of going through a midlife crisis. Uh, it's not as funny as something like falling down or something like that. Another movie mm-hmm. about a guy who's just like, I keep meaning go- to watch that going through a, a nervous breakdown, the Joel Schumacher movie. But yeah, I think that this film is gorgeous. The animation's amazing. The cast is great. Um, and, uh, yeah, Charlie Kaufman is, is always someone that's really introspective and existential. I think that this film is accessible enough to where it's, you know, there, there is that room for that personal kind of imprint there without him just telling a story about being an artist or being a filmmaker with something like Synecdoche, New York. Um, it's not my favorite film of his, but I think it's really slept on. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of this, of this one. I think it's as far as the, the genre of animation, super, super unique, super original. I can't really point to a lot of other films in animation that kind of are, in a similar vein. Yeah, it's just a really unique singular movie and I'm I'm really glad it was made. You know, and it's interesting because I felt I remember people were, you know, bit really big on it whenever yeah. it first came out. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. people um, you know, made a real big deal of it. It made a lot of year end lists for a lot of people, yeah. like top ten lists. Yeah. And it was nominated for best animated feature. Yeah. But I feel like after that year, nobody really talks about it. Everybody kind of forgot after Yeah. That. Animation is something that I see <laughs> a lot of people 
kind of turn their nose up at and just like of even course. some of my own family members like i some of my family like my, my dad for example i'll be like oh dude you got to check out this animated movie and they're just like ah, it's just not really for me you know i think there's still kind of this generational idea i think it's maybe for an older generation i think you're an i generation uh, you're an i generation is really uh, they understand the power of animation and growing up with things like you know True. disney and pixar True. we understand that it's like no these movies can still deal with some really emotional things and really human things uh and also anime is getting a lot more popular here in the states too so maybe it's something like comic books that you know when they when they kind of first came around people were just kind of like no that's that's kid stuff those are those are for kids obviously animation's been around for you know nearly a hundred years at this point but i think movies like this can prove that animation's not just a genre for kids you can still get really into those deeper themes and ideas about things that are specifically uh relatable for adults so yeah maybe it's Mm -hmm. just something that people just were kind of like like puppets uh, stop motion i don't know it's just not yeah. really for me so yeah who's th- to say i think you know just the idea of like an adult animated stop motion like still just sounds more yeah like jokey yeah um to anyone like you know this is a very you know even though this is a very funny like it is very funny at moments but this yeah. is a very serious movie for sure know? this is a yeah. serious adult drama yeah just in stop motion yeah, form the, the puppet sex is not meant to be really funny <laughs> no like it's this is like very much just a normal normal you know movie just in a different medium totally and, and i'm glad it exists uh, again stop motion is a medium i have a lot of respect for i would love to you know do a stop motion movie at some point sure um and you know this rewatch actually like you know jumped up quite a bit i i even was coming in here I, I was even coming in here to the recording thinking three and a half, but mm-hmm. I've definitely, I think after this, I've talked myself up to a four. Nice. We'll go with a, we'll go with a four out of five on awesome. this one. Yeah. And, um, you know, mainly because, um, it, it doesn't have as much rewatchability factor, you know, sure. um, it doesn't have as much depth because it is stop motion, you know, like, so it's like they could really only do so much because it's already hard as it is. Sure. So they kind of, you know, kept a lot of things streamlined and simple, mm-hmm. uh, with the story, but it's also something I kind of enjoy. I kind of forgot that this takes place entirely at the hotel for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like, you know, between the, the filmmaking craft behind it, but then also, I guess, uh, as I get older, you know, um, you know uh relating to michael a little bit more on this rewatch yeah um and this would this will make a good like every couple of years watch it around new year's like i said like this isn't now a new year's movie yeah um and again like david thewlis and jennifer jason lee their voice performances are so good yeah they're so good and this is like charlie kaufman his you know showing off um a little bit more um a little bit more of his range as far as writing goes because mm-hmm. um i guess like you know his his, his dialogue is very distinct sure. but you know it's kind of a little bit more like uh i don't know maybe a little snarkier or a little bit more um exacerbated or something but like yeah. it, this like it felt so so natural like yeah. the, the interactions the way they wrote the conversations sure. you know like i said yeah. like you know knowing how long to make them um, the the way to play it out between them mm-hmm. it's just fascinating and that's why it makes it like super cool that like you know what this was intended to be like you know not actually a film but like something that you could literally close your eyes to like you know even yeah. though the stop motion is super dope and stuff like mm-hmm. i was also watching this movie and like i didn't feel as bad like looking away to take notes mm-hmm. i didn't feel like as bad because i wasn't missing anything like yeah, that's it, good point. as i was listening to it yeah. i was still getting the whole thing yeah 
and then like I would you know then continue watching. But yeah, uh, yeah. So this rewatch was a uh, real nice uh, to to reevaluate this film. So yeah, I, it'll be funny to like kind of return to this if you do intend like continue to watch it like every five or so years to be like. I relate to Michael, but I don't want to relate too much. Maybe you know? I, no, I, I will not watch this movie again until I'm like 42. Okay. I'll good. wait 15 years before I watch this movie again. And then yeah. whenever I'm around midlife crisis uh, yeah. age, we'll see how if, I feel. If, if you watch it and you're like, oh shit, I'm Michael. It's like, oh man. Okay. That's not good. Yeah. We need to, we need to reevaluate some stuff. There you go. So here on the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, we like to play a little game called Movie Math. It's uh, pretty simple. You just take the movie that we talked about today and try to think of a couple of movies that you could add together to equal this one. Now, I don't know about you, but this was uh, a little harder. This um, was. Because we don't really have a lot of other genre movies to pull from, which I think would you would think it would be easier because we just have like the gamut of movies to pull from. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of had to rack my brain here about what movies take. Uh, a similar kind of filmmaking approach or about similar ideas, you know, stylistically, I think there's a lot of angles that you could approach this from. So uh, what are the movies that made you uh, think of this one that you kind of added together? And what is that? Is that a division one? We got some division (laughs) in here. We got some choices that are very odd and honestly don't feel like this movie at all, but it's more the elements that I'm going to, that I'm going to slot cobbled together here gotcha so um I, I the necessary death of charlie countryman okay is a uh, shia labeouf film Have that um it. i'm a i'm a big fan of and it captures uh that energy of like he's going through this like um he like loses a parent or a family member i think it's his mom maybe gotcha and like kind of is going through Ooh, james white would also be another movie i could have it could have been either one but i don't really remember james white as much but sure. uh charlie countryman so he's like going through this whole thing and then so he decides to go to another country just like packs his stuff up and like i'm going and ah. you know starts staying at a hostel and like you know just like exploring very cool goes to a club meets this girl falls madly in love ah. like they kind of have that just like that adrenaline fueled you know kind of thing sure. and um of course she's the girlfriend of a um drug lord ah. i believe it was played by vigo mortensen we've all been there if i'm not mistaken um, it was either Vigo or Mads. It was one of the two. Um, honestly, <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah. So it like has that, and he he's also having like an existential thing, and and it's the same feel like how you were saying with Dave, uh, with Michael that like it's like almost pathetic a little bit, and yeah. like that's how you feel when you watch this uh Charlie Countryman movie. Gotcha. Um, and spoiler alert, he dies at the end because no. his death was necessary, uh, as the title says. It's in the title, so yeah. So so if you take that part. And then you take um, Monkey Bone. Now, now, hear me out here. Um, I, Monkey Bone. I understand where you're coming from, actually, okay. with this one. Um, yeah. You know, this is uh, directed by Henry Selick, who is known for his stop-motion work. Yeah. He's the one that uh, actually directed Nightmare Before Christmas, and yes. he directed Coraline. Um, and this was him doing live action and also mixing in some animation. Yes. So we got the the just you know different different type of medium, yeah, obviously Roger Rabbit style. You know? Yeah. So yeah. it's like we have that, and it's also centered around an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of having a little bit of an identity crisis. He's uh, having you know, um, and then battling you know mortality essentially. Yeah. And I think this movie you know tackles you know a little bit of that. Like you know, there's not a 
sense of you know urgency or death in this movie but there is like this sense where he's like oh i need to just get away like they they're all the same and you're not and i'm gonna leave my wife and kids and i just like gotta do it like that desperation yeah is kind of interesting um but then yeah yeah, monkey bone and and this movie also feel like nightmares like monkey bone especially feels like a nightmare it's just yeah i I hope we can talk about that movie on here at some point i actually that was another pandemic movie for me i i'd seen that movie when i was a kid probably way too young to watch that movie and then i uh i wanted to re-watch it so i rewatched it during the pandemic and that it's a wild little movie it's but a wild yeah. movie uh but yeah same kind of idea there i totally understand where you're coming from because it's about if, two people that are like hey am i creating a lasting legacy here how does that affect mm-hmm. the way that i communicate with loved ones you know totally. it feels it feels like a little bit more of a whimsical charlie kaufman a yeah. little bit like yeah, a, yeah. with some more fun and whimsy so if you yeah. uh take el- those elements and you add them together yeah and then you divide them by the movie her mm-hmm. and i did this for like kind of more of a mood yeah um you know it kind of has that kind of same sad um melancholy, vibe to it and yeah, they have that yeah. melancholy to it and yeah. and specifically like again like similar to like charlie countryman as well like mm-hmm. you know like has this relationship that sparks this thing you yeah. know and it's like you know after he's kind of going through a little bit of a crisis himself and then the way that it like kind of changes him yeah. And uh, he, like, learns some things through it. But, like, you know, um, he's a much more redeemable character. Yeah. You know, a little bit more human. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, like, kind of just pulling the, the mood from that movie mm-hmm. mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a little bit of the story. So I'll divide my little thing there and then yeah that, that's how to maybe get anomalisa <laughs> yeah no no spike jones is obviously mm-hmm. a good fit with charlie kaufman oh, yeah. they and made spike a jones. movie together so uh yeah her is a really excellent movie and yeah, yeah it's it's funny because kaufman is such an original filmmaker like a lot of his movies are just very singular and distinct that it's like it's a challenge to be like okay well you take this element of this movie and this one and like it kind of truly is like the the point of this game uh which is why um i chose uh akiru the akira kurosawa movie Movie, which is uh, one of my favorites of his also about someone going through a midlife crisis is also reaching that point in their life to where they're like hey i've done this job my entire life and it's completely changed the way that i interact with loved ones uh, kind of in a similar like it's like a sadder it's a wonderful life you know um really brilliant movie um obviously kurosawa is like one of the greats to 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 do it to, to make movies so uh, you take that kind of energy and then also yeah it's pretty obvious but being john malkovich uh, i think Kaufman has a very uh, singular energy, like I said, Uh, and I think the mood of that uh, is similar to this, but I think also that is a film about someone who is also very introverted and also kind of has this idea of the grass is greener of like, Oh, if I just had that element or if I could just do that one thing of constantly trying to obtain something with, you know, without really focusing inward and be like, Hey man, maybe that's some shit you need to work on through yourself. And maybe it's not, if you just had this one thing, your life would be fixed, you know? Uh, but also the mood, especially, like I said, Kaufman is, uh, makes Kaufman movies. And, and that certainly is one of them. So I'm excited for you to watch that one. I, you have to let me know what you think. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely need to, um, catch up on my Kaufman movies, add it to the list. I'm going to finish my Cronenberg watch. And I'm a, I think I'm going to fill in my blind spots for Carpenter. 
And then, you were and then I'll do gonna, Kaufman. I'm just saying Kaufman. That's tough, man. Alliteration. Like. <laughs> and, well, I was thinking alliteration, but also, yeah, um, some uh, a lot of uh, cinematic parallels yeah. between those. You have a little bit of uh, the cinematic, uh, uh, you know, therapy with that one too. You're gonna be like, man, you're gonna get real existential. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I'm having a good time. I'm having a real good time. I'm glad I started with Cronenberg. Maybe you know, get the fun. You know, and let the existential yeah. creep in. He's not as nihilistic as the other ones. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. And, uh, but I'm very excited for the rest of the movies that we're talking for this month. Yeah. The, the lineup is officially locked in. Yeah. So I'm excited for the slate of movies that we're going to be talking, which next week, um, we are talking a recent film. This was in my top 10 of last year. Mine probably as well. Yeah. If not, I think it, yeah, I think it was, I think it was like probably like my six or seven spot. Maybe it had to have been. Yeah. I'd love, I loved this movie. Very yeah. To talk about it. And it, and it, uh, it makes a, um, a little bit more sense on the theme. Not that this movie obviously didn't make sense on the yeah. theme, but this one, it's like, I think you guys are like, Oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. Because we're talking Shiva baby. Yeah. It's, it's mm. like, I'm, I don't want to say it's obvious, like in a, like in a talking down way, but yes. you no, know, it's like watching this movie. This is prime for this a hundred percent i think this is probably the answer you know to this question uh to where it's like it's not a horror movie but it certainly feels like one you know big time Uh, watching that movie is just like i don't even have social anxiety um but watching that movie i'm like god it makes me want to crawl out of my skin you know so i'm like looking forward to rewatching it but i'm also like god i gotta rewatch shiva baby (laughs) yeah there's a there's a few movies in like this like little subgenre that um you know could have made it in here and i almost would have picked shiva a baby myself if yeah. somebody else didn't pick 100%, it 100 yeah. so i'm uh i'm excited to dive into this one so totally. uh, make sure you guys check that out i think it's on hulu right now still yeah um if you listen to this entire thing and you haven't seen anomalisa it's on a canopy uh oh. ditch those library or ditch uh ditch netflix kiddos get your library card very good and then yeah. you can use a hoopla and canopy Cool. Yeah, this uh, definitely one to check out. I, I hope I convinced you people. <laughs> I mean, I hope you guys have seen it before you guys were listening. Got this to far. This. Yeah, I, I hope you just watched. Yeah, it, I but. mean, even if people have seen it, though, I hope that you know this is one that they're like, okay, I could see, I could see where he's coming from. I hope they're not just like, dude, you t- this rambled for for an hour and a half or however long, and like, I have no idea why you think that this is almost a horror movie. So I I hope I persuaded you. So we're gonna <laughs> we'll we'll leave it to you guys. Um, you know, whenever we post it on Twitter, I will check in with you guys and I'll ask, be like, hey. Could this be a horror movie? Yeah. Let us know if uh, if we're crazy or not. Yeah. But, uh, and if no, Garrett's not on the podcast anymore. It gets kicked off. <laughs> yep. That's what Twitter, it's in your hands. Damn Garrett's it. fate is in your hands. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm super excited. But uh, Garrett, what are you working on right now? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter, YouTube, uh, Letterboxd, TikTok now, uh, Garrett McDowell. Um, I've got some uh, fun TikToks planned, including some horror stuff, recommending a few horror movies that will be dropping on streaming uh, this month. Uh, got some uh, fun reviews planned as well. But if you also like some more podcast goodness, I host a uh, Star Wars podcast with my buddy Noah. Uh, got a big month coming up, May, big Star Wars month. So if you guys are into that kind of thing, you can uh, follow us there. We're now available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Hey, Finally figure go. out how to do it. Um, but yeah, you guys can uh, listen to us there. We'd love to have you. Yay, there we go. Go on there. Rate them five stars. Write a little review and uh, do that for this podcast while of course, you're at yeah, it. Yeah, might as well. Of course. <laughs> Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco. Um, uh, plugging once again, the incinerator pod, um, that episode is out 
in the wild. I'm excited for people to roast us about our vampire movie choices. What are you talking about? My choices were bulletproof, man. <laughs> okay, okay, Bugs Bunny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but so uh, but yeah, plug in plug in that again. Make sure you guys go check that out. Um, I uh, got to direct a music video Whoa, recently, so uh, nice. working on working on the edit for that. So that's gonna be fun. So I, I'm uh, I'll, I'll uh, post some uh, BTS stuff on uh, Instagram. Here you recorded? You did a music video for BTS, the band BTS? No, but I did see them doing uh, a ma- doing a live performance in uh, Santa Monica one time. Oh wow! Like just like randomly, they were doing like some like live stream thing. That's cool. You should have you should have offered to like right then and there, guys. Music video. I'm your I man. got you. I got you. <laughs> Bless you. But yeah, so make sure uh, you go and uh, follow me, and that's about what we got going on. So we will uh, catch you guys next week. But that'll go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday, so make sure you are following us on social media and subscribing so you do not miss an episode. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bloody Blunt's Pod. And until next time, guys, stay lifted.